ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Welcome into the Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. I'm your host, Will Gray. Pleased to be joined today by Justin Leonard, uh, major champion, Ryder Cup hero, now uh, doing a little bit of work here for us at Golf Channel. But he was on the ground last week at Le Golf Nacional. Uh, and Justin, we have a lot to discuss about the debacle that was the American Ryder Cup team uh, and their performance. You know, they come in as favorites and they leave. Seven points down. So first off, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Will. So I would say, let me let me start with this. When you got on the grounds in Paris and you took a look at that course and you saw the thick rough and the narrow fairways and the water everywhere, at what point did you think to yourself, "Huh, the U.S. might actually be in trouble here"? Uh, all down the the first fairway. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a, a lot of dog legs. Not a lot of drivers, and, and I'd heard that um, uh, the European side was was going to, you know, the golf course wasn't overly long, um, and of course they have a, a familiar familiarity with it, uh, playing the French Open there every year. But but really, to me, it was more of the setup was was the advantage, not necessarily the path knowledge. Um, you know, I, I think we all would agree that the strength of of the American team um, was hitting it a long ways, being very aggressive off the tee. And that was completely negated uh, by the setup of the golf course, narrow fairways. I mean, there were the majority of the fairways, probably the average width was 25 yards, which by today's standards is very, very small. That's U.S. Uh, Open stuff right there. It, it is, yeah. yeah. Like U.S. Open from 15 years ago type <laughs> stuff. Um and then you mix that in with uh, the rough and how penal it was. Um, you know, if I mean, kind of talking early in the week around the TV compound, um, I made a statement that on a neutral golf course that really didn't favor anybody and neutral, you know, crowds and everything, the American side probably would have been maybe a two-point favorite. Um, but with the golf course set up and the crowds all of a sudden, I mean, I might have even had Europe favored by a half a point. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, it, it wasn't, you know, that first session was the only um, really bright spot for the U.S. team. And after that, it was, it was all Europe the rest of the way. 
Yeah, it definitely uh, got off the rails pretty quickly for, for Jim Furyk's squad. Was there a part of you that wished that you had your clubs with you? This actually seemed like a pretty good course for... Uh, we needed more Justin Leonard's from the U.S. perspective uh, on that course in order to, to take advantage of, of exactly what uh, Le Golf Nacional had to offer there. Well, I, no, I'm glad I didn't take my club. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were a couple players uh, that I think would have been better suited for, for the golf course. Uh, Kevin Kisner, Xander Shoffley um, are two that, that really come to mind. Um, and then you had two guys that were there, and they may have had their clubs, Zach Johnson and Matt Kuchar. Um, they were there as, as vice captains. So, uh, you know, it's the European Tour, they do themselves a favor every four years by playing golf courses that their team knows. And but the strategy of bringing the fairways in and growing the rough very deep, um, it was brilliant. And I think it's a big reason, a big reason why um, not only they won the cup, but probably had confidence going into it because they realized the setup favored them. Well, you mentioned guys like Kisner and Xander Shoffley, and, and I think that it's interesting that we're all coming off of this with the, the scorecard in hand and seeing that, yeah, maybe there were some some moves that, that Jim Furyk and the Americans could have made. But at the time, before they got to France, it seemed like Furyk's four captain's picks were some of the biggest slam dunks in, in Ryder Cup captain's picks history. Do you, do you think that this could lead to maybe, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be as big of a change as we saw after Glen Eagles, but could this change how the U.S. looks at those captain's picks and maybe really do zero in on guys that specifically would thrive on the course that, that it's going to be played at? Well, I think there's something to that, and I think you've got to look at the golf course setup, and and if you get down between a couple of players, um, maybe that pushes one over the edge. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you can't argue the pick of Tony Finau, how well he had been playing, how well he played at the event. Um, you can't argue the pick of Tiger Woods, um, the way he's played with the consistency and, and – um, and then coming off his win, even though it was picked before that, um, you can't argue Bryson DeChambeau. He just won two times uh, the first two playoff events. You know, Phil's, Phil was the interesting pick in that, um, yeah, he'd won early in the year, but he really didn't play very well over the summer. Um, admitted he was struggling during the week. And, and I mean, he's such a leader in the team room. He's been a hard guy to, to leave off the team. I thought the only way, um, you know, with that last pick, if it wasn't Tony Finau, maybe pick a guy that's better suited for the golf course. And, um, that's why I thought that, that both Kisner and Shoffley were, um, were possibilities. But, you know, as much as Phil means to the, to the team, not just on the golf course, but behind the scenes, um, it's been very hard to leave him off. Um, I... You know, it's hard to argue any of the picks because you have to look at the moment when you made those picks. Um, but, I mean, the truth is uh, Phil and, and Tiger and Bryson went over there and did not play very well. You could argue that Tiger probably played the best of the three. Um, and uh, just because of pairings and matchups, um, they weren't able to get any points. And... Um, you know, all that talk about the golf course and everything that I've been talking about, still, the, the European players just flat out outplayed. I mean, so many of the matches um, really weren't very close. And that that 
Friday afternoon four ball session, um, you know, not only did they sweep, but the closest match was like three and two. Um, so they really just, you know, went out and fired. And it's not that, that the, the U.S. team did, but um, the Europeans just went out with, with a sense of confidence and purpose. Um, and they made putts. They hit a few more fairways, but they made big putts you know, early and midway through the matches to, to really build themselves a lead that, that the U.S. couldn't overcome. Yeah, I think the one comment that stuck out to me, the, the Sunday press conference with the Euros was certainly pretty jubilant, but uh, Sergio Garcia trying to explain to Francesco Molinari that the golf course actually has 18 holes was, uh, was one that stood out because he only had to play 16 of them in any match. So he said, yeah, I saw him in practice on Tuesday and then uh, just went 5-0 and, and, and drummed everyone in sight. So uh, certainly the Euros... I think no matter how that U.S. team was put together, I think the Euros were probably going to come out on top. But there is all, all this Monday morning quarterbacking to be done. And, and one thing that also stood out from the American perspective for me was when Jim Furyk said, I forget if it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, that he said, only six of my 12 guys have ever seen this golf course to the point where he had to put the, the first group of practice rounds together to make sure that at least one person in every group had seen the course and could kind of shepherd the other players. Are you surprised? I know that Justin Thomas was the only guy that came over for the French Open and Furyk had a scouting trip around the Open Championship that, that had brought a few guys in, but are you surprised that over the course of the summer more of the Americans didn't at least get a peek at that golf course? I, I, I'm not that I, I don't think that again I, I don't think the necessarily the familiarity of the golf course I think it was more in the way it was set up um, that gave the Europeans a big advantage uh, guys show up at major championships and certainly this um, these younger players a lot of golf courses that they haven't seen before uh, they figure it out two or three days um, and you know go play so I, I don't know that uh, – I know Bubba Watson played the French Open a couple of years ago. Um, I, I don't know really that, um, that that has a whole lot to do with um, the European advantage. I think it, it was more in just the setup of the golf courses. It, it was pretty much there in front of you. It's not like there were a lot of completely blind shots. There were, there were areas where parts of the fairways um, – uh, might have not been able to be seen because of a mound here or there, but it wasn't. It was just you know it was kind of uncomfortable. It's tight. Um, you know there were quite a few holes. He took driver out of the guy's hands. Even a couple par fives. Guys are hitting two iron three woods, and um, so it just it didn't seem to play into the strength of the Americans, and, and I'm sure that was you know completely intentional. Um, by the European team, it'll be interesting to see at Whistling Straits. I mean, if if you know the next captain and committee has their say, they might fill in all those bunkers at Whistling Straits. It might just be grass wall to wall, fairway, play the <laughs> members' tees. We're going to try and drive every green. Um, you know, of course, it depends on the makeup of the team. But uh, you know, that home team has kind of control of the setup of the golf course up until the week before, and after that, they don't really have any input. So. Um, but you can get a golf course exactly the way you want it a week ahead, and it's just a, a uh, you know trying to, to keep it, maintain it from that point on. 
I think that uh, uncomfortable is a pretty good descriptor for, for that golf course, certainly from walking around there. That's, that's the word that I would, would come away from it. And I, if I'm the Europeans, I play there every four years. I think that's the biggest home field advantage that they've had in, uh, in recent Ryder Cup history. But we'll see. I know that they're going to, to Italy in 22, and we'll see where they go after that. But I want to go back to, to the American side because certainly there was the shocking result, and then the volcano started to erupt seemingly after the U.S. squad left the golf course. And we have all of this melee with with Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed and who doesn't want to play with who and Dustin Johnson wasn't playing with Brooks Kepka. so I want to ask you having been on three of these teams before how big of an impact do the pairings have in terms of who I'm going to play with who you're going to play with what groups we're going to we're going to put out on there is it really that big of an impact entering the week and during those three two days I guess of uh, of team competition I on the three Ryder Cup teams I was on I don't recall anybody complaining about who they were playing with, um, upset that they didn't get to play with somebody else. Um, if they were, it was never mentioned or spoke of, at least not in front of me. Um, now, you know, it's probably the guys that had to be split paired with me that were complaining. Um, but I don't recall any, you know, much like this. I, I understand um, – you know, Jordan and Patrick Reed have been a good team over their last three, you know, international teams. Um, but, you know, some things need to change. And, and uh, for Jim Furyk and, and his vice captains, they thought they could, they could come out of there with two better teams. I mean, you know, Patrick Reed, yeah, he didn't get to play with Jordan, but who did he play with? Pretty good guy there if you're, if you're drawing up a draft board, yeah. He played with Tiger Woods. I mean, the guy, you know, probably had a poster of him on his room, and, you know, he wears the red shirt on Sundays, and he's, he's spoken of his, um, uh, you know, just desire to to, uh, to emulate Tiger Woods, and, and here he is paired with him uh, in the grandest stage of golf, um, but because he didn't get any points, and, and let's be honest, I mean, from what I saw, Patrick Reed did not play very good. Right. Um, he kind of left Tiger hanging, and that's I go back to earlier what I said, that Tiger didn't get any points, but it seemed like he played some pretty decent golf. Um, so, you know, I, I don't remember I don't remember anybody really um, burning bridges the way Patrick Reed has, um, you know, the night after and the next day of the Ryder Cup. Uh, it's a first for me. Um, you know, you hope that, uh, that he'll come down a little bit and, you know, try and mend some of those things um, with, with people that, you know, he's talked to, spoke of. Um, but, you know, he's 28 years old. I mean, Masters champion, he's probably going to be on these teams. I mean, you know, he's put himself in a very uncomfortable place. Uh, the next time he makes the team and who he's paired with. And, and um, I, I just I don't think you want to do that at such a young age. Well, I, I certainly would agree. I think that if we you know roll back the clock one week and we're entering these matches, Patrick Reed is maybe of all people seen as this American stalwart for Ryder Cups for the next 10 or 15 years to come. And now all of a sudden the script has kind of shifted and he's put himself, as you said, in an uncomfortable position. Do you see 
that this is something that he can maybe he can mend before we get to Whistling Straits or or the 2022 trip to, to Italy? Or is this something that could impact his standing among those U.S. Ryder Cup teams moving forward? Because it was looking, for, you know, last week it's looking like it's him and Jordan and Justin Thomas and Bryson. And that's the next group, the next crop that was hopefully going to lead the U.S. to future success for the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of work to do. Um and part of it, he's played so well in, in these events in the past. He's really raised the level of his game um, beyond what, you know, a lot of people thought was really possible. And, you know, it's shown by his performance, major championships, and going on winning the Masters, came close last year at the PGA, um, you know, and then continuing to play well beyond the Masters. Um, he's got a lot of work to do. And, and I mean, if, you're, if he's sitting on the fence, of making a team, I don't see how you, you pick him to be on your team at this stage. Um, unless he really, you know, does a lot of work uh, in the next couple of years between now and, and Whistling Straight to, you know, cement some of those relationships and, and you know, ask for forgiveness and be contrite and, and do all the right things. Um, he really has not done himself. I mean, he's He's kicked himself uh, multiple times from, you know, what little I've read uh, since Sunday evening. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see. You know, it's going to be a question that's going to follow him. It's going to follow Jordan, at least in these next couple of starts as they get into the fall season and as we head into 2019. It's not going to go away anytime soon, and we'll see how, how all parties involved are able to deal with it, but it's always interesting once you get these sort of results, especially when it's lopsided, where you have the chemistry aspect come into play. And usually the losing team, you look back and, and you point to all these issues that they had in the team room and the winning team. We saw that that motivational video that the Europeans watched on Thursday night where it seemed like it had anyone watching it ready to run through a wall for Thomas Bjorn. Is that some stuff when it comes to chemistry? Is that a little overrated in looking back in hindsight, or does the chemistry within those walls really make that big of an impact on the actual result of the Ryder Cup? Well, I think a lot of the chemistry comes if, if you're winning and, and you're sending teams out that are that are getting you points and half points and um, doing well, all of a sudden your chemistry is pretty good. Uh, you know, really the only person you need to have great chemistry with are, you know, the people you're playing with um, or, you know, the combination of possibilities that are there. Uh, and, I mean, judging by going back to Patrick Reed's comments, um, you know, it's not like he and Jordan are best friends and all that. They just happen to play well together. Um, so it didn't sound like there was a lot of chemistry there. I know my own experience when I've been in the team room you know, 97 we went over there in Valderrama and lost, but we had great team chemistry. I mean, I, I've never really been around a team where the guys weren't getting along and pulling things together. Um, I think the, the chemistry thing is, is more about guys, you know, really believing in what kind of process the captain and vice captains are using uh, for pairings and those sort of things. And, I think there's been times in the past um, with the U.S. that that that's maybe not been the case. Um, a couple of captains have just tried to do it their own way, and here it is, and here's who you're playing with. And 
I think players enjoy kind of being invested in the process, and it's something that uh, on the 2008 team, I noticed it more than any other team I've ever been on. Um, Paul Azinger, who was the captain, uh, he let Phil and I and Anthony Kim pick who we wanted to fill out our our pod, and we picked Hunter Mahan. Um, that's, you know, that's getting players invested in the process. Um, and then amongst our four groups, we were allowed to, you know, who do we want to play with? And we figured that out amongst ourselves. Um, so, and I think that's kind of the formula that the U.S. team after 2014 has gone to, where the players are more invested, they're listening to more voices, and, you know, at some point it's going to come down to what Jim Furyk decides best, um, but getting a lot more input. And I think that develops team chemistry. And so I don't know that, that it was a real lack of chemistry. Obviously, Patrick Reed wasn't very pleased with, with the week and how things were going. Um, but ultimately, you know, the golf course didn't really suit their games. And, you know, in the end of it, they just got outplayed. Yeah, I think that, that comes down to it is that you can tweak all the chemistry you want and, and revise some pairings, but at the end of the day, I don't, I'm not sure that 100 Americans were beating that, that European team on that particular golf course that particular week, but we may never know. Now, you mentioned you've been in, in that room a couple times. you played on multiple teams with both Tiger and Phil. Phil has made every team for the last 24, 25 years. Tiger has had this resurgent season, and everyone's riding high on momentum, and they go 0-6 combined in Paris. Looking forward, Tiger's going to be a captain uh, at the President's Cup next year, but, but let's think for, for 2020 and beyond. Have, is either Tiger or Phil, have we, have we seen the last of them as a player in the Ryder Cup this week in France? Um, I, I would guess that this is, prob this is probably Phil's last team. Um, making it at age 50, that's, that's a really tall task with the number of great young players that there are in today's game. I think Tiger maybe because he's had so much time off these last five years in this resurgence, I think he's truly re-energized. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the team in 2020. Um, Phil will be involved. He will either be, you know, I'm sure he's going to be a captain at some point. If it's not in two years, I'm sure he'd be a vice captain. If he wasn't on the team, it's not – it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think Tiger's more likely to play again than Phil. It's interesting to think about a, a team with Tiger and without Phil. We've seen the other way around at, at 2008 and, and 2016. Those were two teams where the U.S. won, and you were there at Valhalla without Tiger. Uh, but but to, the thought of having a, a team with Tiger and without Phil might take some, some getting used to. I'm sure that, that Phil as vice captain or Phil as captain would certainly be nothing short of entertaining either way. <laughs> It will be very entertaining, and, uh, yeah, there will be a lot going on that week and certainly a lot of, uh, you know, funny and inspiring videos that will be shown at night behind closed doors. <laughs> Not to mention the ping pong, always the ping pong. We never got a full report on, on how the matches went for the U.S. side. You know side what? In that was on purpose. I don't, I, don't, I don't ever remember hearing anything about ping pong at any point when I was on the air. And it, that was part of my goal was not to bring it up. <laughs> um, and nobody else did either. In fact, if, if the question had been asked to me, I, I was going to just completely blow it off. So I'm glad I didn't have to do that to one of my, um, you know, co-workers. Um, but, yeah, very little ping pong discussion this year, which was always good.
I'm just gonna assume that Kutcher just drilled everyone sitting back there. He had all the he had all the time in the world to to take everyone's money, but we may never know. Uh, all right, well, I will I will let you get out of here on this one. I know that Jim Furyk said that he's gonna go back to the PGA of America and he's gonna talk to them and identify how they can keep improving and try and get back to that momentum that Davis Love the Third's team had at Hazeltine two years ago. If you're in that room, if you have a voice with with the officials that are guiding the PGA of America's Ryder Cup group. What is one piece of advice that you would give them looking towards Whistling Straits in two years? I, I don't. I don't see there. There doesn't, in my opinion, there doesn't need to be any big overhaul of of things. I think the, at the moment that the players, the four captain picks were made, um, they were very logical choices. I would say, possibly going forward you might say, okay, one of these three picks is really going to go for somebody specific for this golf course or to, you know, to really make a pairing. And, and that's, I keep going back to Kevin Kisner because I, I thought with he and Phil's success last year at Liberty National, being on the golf course um, that they were playing in France, that Kevin Kisner might have been a very good pick. Again, very hard to argue Tony Finau and how well he played and, and I think how much better golfer he's going to become because of his experience there. But I, I think there's not a whole lot you could do really as far as different picks, um, different strategy. I mean, you know, I, I guess you second guess the decision to put Phil out in foursomes when he, he was, when he was struggling with his game. If you're going to put him out in anything, put him out in four balls where, um, you know, he's got a chance. But um, other than that, I, I don't see a whole lot wrong with, with what USI did or, you know, what they can try and fix before 2020. I don't think there's a whole lot to fix. I think, you know, the golf course didn't suit him very well. Yeah, there were a couple of, you know, surprising things as far as um, – pairings and and when they put certain guys out but over and all i mean the europeans just play better and um and that's typically what it comes down to um they seem more rested more energized um uh, more comfortable in the golf course and because of all those things they 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 got outplayed so i don't think there's we're going to see any big changes over the course of the next two years um i think we'll see more of the same the formula is there it didn't work this time. It's not going to work every time. Um, but it certainly um, is going in the right direction. This is a very minor setback in my, you know, I know it's every two years and it's the Ryder Cup, so it's a big thing. But as far as the overall scheme of, of, of captains and vice captains and putting the teams together, um, I, I don't think there's any big changes that need to be made. When in doubt, just hit more fairways and make more putts. Pretty simple at that point. Uh, and defend home field, right? I mean, if we, if you, if you look back, if you look back, if were it not for the Sunday singles collapse at Medina, we would have 15 straight years of the home team winning. That maybe it's just pretty tough to win this thing on the road. It is, and you know, so much of it is made about the um, the gallery. But, but really a lot of the golf course and the setup and the fact that these captains are able to, to kind of tweak things to, to maybe be more advantageous for their team. Um, you know, maybe there is something to guys playing on the golf course more, um, being more familiar with it. I never felt that, and I felt that these young group of players 
are used to getting to know golf courses, new golf courses they haven't seen. Um, but the ability to bring the fairways in, uh, grow really long rough, w- was a huge advantage for the European team um, because it really negated what perceived advantage there was by the U.S. Um, I, so it'll be interesting to see the course setup. Whistling Straits has hosted a couple major championships. Um, I don't think – I mean, there's not a whole lot of room out there for rough anyways. It's kind of fairways and you get into waste areas. But um, it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the next captain and committee tweak the golf course to try and favor the U.S. side. We will have to uh, resume this this chat down the road as we get closer to Whistling Straits because last time I checked, you have a little bit of history with that golf course when it comes to uh, major championships. But, uh, Justin Leonard, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. What was the best French food you had last week in Paris? Anything stick out? Uh, nothing really stuck out. We had some pretty long hours, and yeah. um, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, kind of reconvening in the hotel restaurant. So, um we got to know the, the wait staff there very well. We, we did um, we did tend to have a, a glass of Bordeaux or two um, each evening. So uh, some good stories told. It was more about the company than it was the food. So um, I didn't really get out to see much of the countryside just because the hours that we put in. and, and um, uh, But it was a good trip. You know, again, disappointed for the U.S. side um, that there couldn't have been more drama on Sunday. But – it's still the Ryder Cup. It's still exciting. It's one of the greatest events in sports, and, and to be involved with it is, is very special. Early mornings and late nights, it's the glamorous life of the road, as, uh, as everyone <laughs> is coming to know. But uh, thank you much, Justin Leonard, for, for taking the time to join us. Uh, we hope to, hope to get back together with you soon, and we'll, we'll talk some more. My pleasure, Will. Thank All- you. All right, well, this has been the Golf Channel Podcast presented by Top Golf. Remember, you can go to golfchannel.com slash podcast to download this episode and past episodes. You can look us up, search keyword Golf Channel on Stitcher, Art19, anywhere you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find us. Thanks once again to Justin Leonard for joining us today. I'm your host, Will Gray. We'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.